So uh, we're still on this series called The Dream, and, uh, and up till now, Jeff and I have been going back and forth, and we've preached on revival, we've preached on unity. Jeff did an amazing job last week preaching on mission, talking about our vertical mission and our horizontal mission. And, and what we're doing is we're sharing, just reminding us, we're sharing what we feel like the Lord's put in our hearts as the dream for this spiritual family, for this spiritual community, this, this new thing that God's done in bringing the House of Prayer, International House of Prayer Atlanta together with Newbridge Church. And so that's what we're doing today and the next several weeks. We'll continue to talk about what's the dream. And, and so today we're going to talk about intimacy with God. We're clear that the Lord wants us to be a people that live with the first commandment in first place. That we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then from that place of being alive in intimacy with God, we love our neighbor as ourselves. Sometimes in the church we get that backwards. We get on mission with others without any revelation of the love of God for us. And what we find is when you live second commandment in first place, you end up burning out. Anybody ever experienced that? You get running hard after doing the works of the ministry and you forget the God of the ministry. And so what we want to do today is we want to plumb line ourselves around the issue of who is God and what is his invitation to us, corporately and individually. It's just critical that we get the, the order of the first and second commandment in the right place, that we get them in order so that our hearts can be alive and, and moving. So we're going to talk about this as an expression, intimacy with God as an expression of his glory, and, and because Jeff ta- touched on it last week, God, who is all glory and, and how he manifests himself, it's glory. And, and I, wanna, I just want to uh, define this a bit. When we talk about the glory of God, we're not just talking about the power of God or the beauty of God. Yes, that's part of his glory, but we're also talking about the nature of God, who he is on the inside, the depths of God. When you see the word glory of God, think all of who God is, everything that he is. At the, at the deepest part. And so when the Lord wants to reveal his glory, he's not just showing up as this all-powerful God trying to sort of blow our minds. He's showing up as a God who is all-powerful, all-glorious, all-wonder, all-marvel, and who has depths inside of him that he wants to share with us. And so he doesn't ever want us to be a people that stand far off and just go, wow, he's amazing over there, God in eternity. But he wants us to be a people that draw near. And so if you remember with Moses, when the Lord came down on the mountain, most people miss this part of the story. God had invited the entire nation to draw near as a kingdom of priests. And what happened was they began to draw near to the fire and the glory of God because he'd come down on the mountain with fire and glory. And as they began to draw near, they said, we can't do this. Moses, you go in and we'll stand back. And 2.2, approximately 2.2 million people pulled back and they sent Moses in to experience God. Beloved, When Jesus came, he tore the veil of the temple so that all that would say yes to Jesus could step into that offer of being a kingdom of priests. Beloved, that's who we're supposed to be now. And it's not just people with access to his presence. Oh, thank God we've got access to his presence. But you know what? Angels have access to his presence. It's not just that we'd have access to his presence, it's that we would have access to his very heart. And so that's what we want to talk about today is the invitation of intimacy that God has for us. And so we've got to stare at what the Bible says, we've got to encounter God through the word of God, and there's a a special thing that happens in scripture, they're called theophanies, it's when God appears to men, and there's there's about a dozen of them through the Bible when God shows up, and oftentimes in these theophanies, God does this thing where he explains himself. 
If you want to find out who God is, go to the passages in the scripture and look at the ones where God explains himself to us. From there, we'll get a real understanding of who he is and and who he isn't. Now, here's the deal. When it comes to engaging the knowledge of God and drawing near an intimacy with God, there's got to be a response of hunger on our side, right? With the children of Israel, they said, no, we can't handle that. They backed up, and ultimately, they missed out. But Moses drew near, and man, when I stare at Moses' life, it blows my mind because he had encounters with God that are so beyond anything that I've ever even heard of. And guess what? He did it as an Old Testament person without being born again under the new covenant. I mean, can you imagine? And so there's this thing on our side, it's called spiritual hunger. Everybody say hunger. hunger. I'm going to preach real long, so you're going to be hungry for lunch. You're going to feel it today. I'm just... <laughs> but you know that feeling where on the inside you start th- that gnawing. Man, I, I need something to eat. I'm hungry. That thing starts gnawing. And you, you know when you, you, you've been on a fast or you, you just can't get to your next meal, you get busied up, and, and man, that hunger pang is just like, hey, 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 hey. I'm dying over here. <laughs> I believe that every human being has that on board. That there is a hunger on the inside, a gnawing on the inside that says, man, I've been made for more than this. This isn't everything there is. Even the unsaved, they're always looking for something. It's why we have a preoccupation with mysteries. It's why we love explosions. It's why we look into the stars and and we wonder. It's why we sent people to the moon. It's why people pay billions of dollars to go to scary movies. Because on the inside, there's something that's telling you this can't be everything. All that I see and all that I feel and all that I touch, this can't be everything. There's got to be more. There must be more. I'm made for more. It's because eternity is written on our hearts. You know it. You're made for more than what you see. You know there's more. You know there's something greater than yourself, and every human being knows this. They search for meaning, and they just happen to look for love in all the wrong places. And so a key to engaging the knowledge of God and coming into intimacy with with God is is responding to that onboard hunger, responding to that desire to know God. And and the thing the Bible promises us is this, if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Isn't that right? He fills the hungry with good things. And so throughout the scripture, we're told if we will respond to God's drawing of us, if we'll respond, God will meet us. Man, that's such a a great promise. He says if, if you cry out for wisdom, he'll give it to you liberally. If you knock at the door, he'll open the door. But we've got to respond to the drawing, the drawing of God on us. And so this is where I want to get us to today. I want us to stare at God who is drawing us into intimacy. And my prayer this morning is that it would completely reformat the way you think about God. It would reformat the way you think about yourself. And it would reformat the way you think about other people. I think our biggest problem, it's not the devil. Our biggest problem is God. We don't understand him. We think we do, but we really don't. I, I, I like Christians who think, well, I basically got this thing down. Oh, you do? He's infinite. You tell me how you got infinity in your pocket, and then we, maybe we, we'll have a good conversation. I, I remember just recently I had somebody tell me, they said, listen, I, I've already figured it all out. I said, you figured it all out? Oh, yeah, I've got it all. I know I've got it all. I said, you've got it all. He said, I got it all. I go, you've got infinity? He goes, well, no. (laughs) So you don't have it all. And that's sometimes that's our biggest problem is we think we know him, but we actually don't. I mean, we know him in the I I say yes to Jesus since I've been born again since, but we don't know him who is infinite. And so this is what I want to do today. I want to take us and just right to that place where Moses was, where Moses says, I've got to know you. I've got to encounter you. Please express yourself to me. 
I want to take us to there, and then I want to look hard at God's answer, and, and then I want to let it just touch us and, and, and really minister to our hearts. Is that good? Does that sound good? All right. I've got one of these deals going on right here with this message that I've got way more to say than I have time to say it. So you're going to have to listen fast. All right, so referencing Exodus 33. In Exodus 33, here's what's going on. Children of Israel have been at Mount Sinai for quite some time. And the Lord says, it's time for you to get up and go from Mount Sinai. And and he says, but I'm not going to go with you. And he tells Moses, he says, tell the people they're stiff-necked. They've got, they've got hard heads, and they're not following me. So I'm just going to send an angel. He'll go with you into the promised land, but I won't go with you. So we get that statement at the top of chapter 33, and then we get this little interlude. And the interlude talks about Moses' personal relationship with God. It's pretty fantastic. It says this, that Moses took his own tent and he took it and he pitched it outside the camp of Israel. And it says this, that when Moses went to dialogue with the Lord and to commune with God, the cloud, the glory cloud would come and appear above Moses' tent. That's a pretty good quiet time, folks. That every time you go and pray, the glory of God appears above your tent and covers the door. He didn't even have to shut the door because God's glory did. And it was so powerful and so potent that the entire camp of Israel, it says they would come to the their, their doors of their tents and they would stand and worship just towards the glory where it appeared over Moses. And the Bible tells us these incredible details. It says that God spoke to Moses face to face like he would speak to a friend like he would speak to a friend. Now we know, because later on in the chapter, God's going to say, you can't see my face to live. We know he wasn't actually looking at the face of God. The point is, face to face, it's a Jewish idiom. It just means front to front. There was nothing in the way. That it was God and Moses dialoguing. Have you slowed down your life lately enough to where it's just you and God dialoguing? It's just you and God. It's not what the Bible teacher says. It's not what the the radio program says. It's not what the internet feed of the best daily verse or little instruction says. It's you and God slowed down face to face. Because I will tell you this, you aren't made to only drink from other people's wells. You're made to have a well of encounter with you and God face to face. That's what you're made for. Listen, That's what you are constructed for. You're not made to get encounter with God secondhand. You're you're made for something face-to-face with God. One of the the most sad things when you look back in Christian history is that this concept of laity and clergy invaded the church. And that priests, people had it in their mind that they were the only ones that could speak to God. And that if you wanted to get to God, you had to go through another man. That's false. God always invited the people of God in. It was the people of God who said, no, we can't. So Moses got to go in. And then Jesus came and he tore the veil of the temple so the Holy Spirit could come on the inside of us. I've always wondered, why does God put the Holy Spirit inside of us? Well, of course, you have to get born again. Your spirit has to come alive. There's a theological construct there. But I just thought, why did, you, why did you set it up that way? He wanted to be inside of us because he wanted to be close. You can't get any closer than inside. It's not like he's just following us around, a little angel on our shoulder. He's on the inside of us speaking to us from within, conforming our soul to his mind. We have the mind of Christ because Holy Spirit on the inside is directing us into the knowledge of God. You know, you got saved and all of a sudden you go, man, I slipped a cuss word the other day, but it didn't feel good at all. And the Holy Spirit goes, that's because that's not my word. That's not my flavor. That's not my flow. I want to transform you to the image of God. 
I want you to make, I want to make you like me. And that's what Holy Spirit, God on the inside is doing. He's drawing us into intimacy with God all the time. So you weren't made to go through someone else. You weren't made to talk to the priest. You weren't made to go through the pastor. Some people think, man, I got to talk to the pastor because the pastor's got a closer line to God. No, I don't. Are you kidding me? Jeff, are you kidding me? Dustin, are you kidding? Gabe, none of us have a closer uh, line to God. We've got the same Holy Spirit that you've got. God made you for encounter with him. Our job is to get out of the way and get you plugged into him. Not to get in the way. We've all got different roles in the kingdom, and, and part of, you know, the thing is that God sets up leadership and stuff like that, and, and he gifts certain people in different ways, but we need everybody engaging with God and operating in their gifts at the highest level. I mean, a friend of mine, he says it this way, he goes, man, I'm, he's a pastor, he says, I'm just a dork from Dorkville, <laughs> because there are no big eyes and little U's in the kingdom. There's one star in the kingdom of God. His name is Jesus. There's one king of the kingdom. His name is Jesus. That's part of what we're trying to do with the leadership team is that you see it's not about one man. It's about one king, Jesus Christ, king of kings and lord of lords. So here's Moses having these amazing encounters with the Lord. He's in the place praying, and the glory of God comes. This is his normal day in and day out. Joshua would come and sit in the temple and the t- uh, tent with him. And when Moses would leave, Joshua would just stay in there. There's a, there's a whole other generation behind this generation that wants to just bask in the glory that we leave through encounter. You see what I'm saying? We should be going in, and our kids should want to stay in our place of prayer because the anointing is so strong. Joshua ends up being the next leader, right? So here's Moses day in and day out talking to God face to face. And then we get back to the big issue at hand. And the issue is that God said, you guys have got to go from Sinai. And God said, I'm not coming with you. And so you you pick up the dialogue there in Exodus 33. and, And Moses begins to ask some deep probing questions that end up being the most critical thoughts And when I see Moses' questions, I go, Lord, I want that to be the the cry of my own heart. And and so I I have it here, uh, Exodus 33, 13. First thing Moses says is this, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it's not that I like it as a translation in terms of its specificity and the way it translates the, the Greek and the Hebrew, but I do like the the story feel, the narrative of it. It adds a bit when you're, when you're looking for the narrative. And so he, he says this in Exodus 33, 13. He says, if it is true that you look favorably on me, which is what the Lord had said. He said, you found favor in my sight, son. He said, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully. And continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. I'll tell you something. If you want a prayer to pray, pray that one. Show me your ways, God. Teach me your ways that I could walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear you. I realized this sometime into my Christianity, maybe 10, 12 years in. I remember I just coming to grips with the fact that I just don't get God. I just don't get him. I mean, I'm thankful and grateful for the cross. I'm so grateful for the blood of Jesus. Oh, thank you, God, for my salvation. But man, I don't understand your ways. I don't understand your activity in humanity. I, I don't understand why you don't just show up, shout, I'm here, and make everybody bow down. Wouldn't that make a lot more sense than all this mess we've got going on? And he just goes, well, it's because I'm not like you. I'm not forcing anybody to love me. I'm inviting everybody to. He's, I'm, I'm not like you, son, and, and your ways are not my ways, and your thoughts are not my thoughts, and as far as the heaven is above the earth, so far are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. And I said, man, if that's the case, 
please teach me your ways? I don't understand what you're like. I want to know what you're like and what you like. You know what I'm saying? I want to know your preferences. I want to know your thoughts. I want to know the, the, the motivations of your heart. I want to understand what's going on in you so that I can conform my heart and my thoughts to the way you are. Listen, there's too many of us that are born again that are in, in the body of Christ and that we get our ways from our social media feeds or from the news network. Let me tell you something. There's very little of the ways of God going on on social media and on the news networks. Oh, I didn't get a good enough amen on that. Some of y'all are like, really? My Facebook feed? My Facebook feed doesn't come from the throne? No, most of it doesn't. Now, Fox News doesn't mostly come from the throne throne room. Neither does, uh, you know, MSNBC or whoever you're seeing it. Those guys aren't tapped into the throne. Just a thought. No, there's a, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Human opinions and popular movements, they're not expressing the heart of God. We have to dial into who he says he is. And that's what Moses was dealing with. He goes, man, I'm encountering you. Your presence is rich. You've got me out here. I mean, you did all this. You, 10 plagues of Egypt, Red Sea. Here we are. Glory of God is falling. And I don't even know you. I just want you to think about this for a second. Moses had walked through all of that. And he was honest enough to say, I don't know how you do what you do and why you do it. I, I love Numbers 12, 3. It says Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. There's an arrogance that humans carry. I think I know God. I think I basically know what he does. I've got my 10 Bible verses. I understand God. Look, that is nothing but arrogance. It keeps us out of actually knowing him. The first step of, you want to encounter with God? The first step is to say, I don't know you. I need to know you. I humble myself before you, God. Please reveal to me your ways. Dustin mentioned just earlier that we were in this pastor's prayer meeting this week, and, and he was just downplaying it. I'm telling you what, these men came together. We began to talk about the desire we have for revival, the desire we have for God to take over in our churches. And man, guys were weeping, and we just said, you know what, we just have to pray. And we began to pray, and within like three seconds, everybody's on their knees. It was like, let's just pray. Oh, God. And we were down. These are pastors all in churches all around here. We were face down, and many of them were weeping, crying out to God for God to break in with his presence and power on the church. We are in a very unusual time. You know, I, I want it to be like this, that if you try to go to church and you try to miss God, that God has showed up in every single church, and you can't miss God no matter where you go. He's going to confront you no matter where you go. Man, it was powerful. And that was what was in our hearts. It was like, God, show us your ways. That's what Moses prayed. He said, teach me your ways. I want to really know you. And then he said this, Exodus 33, 15. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Don't make us leave this place. God, don't send us up out of here without you. I can't, I can't go with an angel. You're meeting with me face to face and the glory of God is falling and you're going to send a lieutenant, a created angel? No, no, don't make us leave if you won't go. And I'll tell you what, some of us have to embrace that cry in our hearts where we say, I will not go one more step unless the Lord has taken me. Unless God's taken me, I won't go. So many have went and they were never sent. We need heaven to encounter our hearts, and we need heaven's voice to speak to us and say, this is the way, walk in it, and then in boldness and in courage and in faith, we go, yes, Lord, I will go, but only if you're coming with me. I'm not going where you're not going. I, uh, I'll just tell them, my wife and I, we went on Friday night, I was thinking, dear God, if anybody from the church sees us, oh my God. We, we thought we were going to go to a little comedy night in a little theater in downtown Lawrenceville. We showed up. She goes, oh, I checked it out. The, the guys are like, 
children friendly. I, oh, good, it's gonna be nice, clean comedy. We got on there and it was up and boop and boop. And I was like, what are we doing in here? And I'm like, Holy Spirit, he's like, I'm not in there. I'm not, I'm not in there. I'm like, and I leaned over and said, babe, we gotta go. I can't do this. It's not, God's not in here. And I was like, I was torn between like, do I do the John the Baptist right now? It's like, excuse me, I need that microphone. Like, I was just in between. Like, what? How's this about to go right now? I didn't want to be in there because what? God wasn't up in there. I mean, he's there in his omnipresence, but he wasn't in there in his manifest. I'll tell you that. We just, we went to the wrong show. And we had to walk out. Hey, don't stay in there if God's not in there. (laughs) Don't stay in there. We got in the car. We repented. We said, Jesus, forgive us. We didn't do our homework enough. We just were in the wrong spot. I had my worthy 24-7 t-shirt on. <laughs> we were the fish out of water, man. We were the wrong place. Well, Christian comedy for us from here on out forever. He says, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave. Don't make us leave. And then, verse 16, he says, How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the people on the earth. See, right there he's saying, How will everyone else know that we're your people if the presence of God isn't with us? Beloved, this is how I feel about church right now. If the presence of God isn't in the place, what distinguishes us from that comedy club? What distinguishes us from the YMCA or from the sports club or from wherever else, the the science fair, the school PTA? If the presence of God isn't among the people of God, where will people go to get the presence of God? We've got to be a people that are so hungry for the Lord that we live in intimacy with God that when we all come together, you've got a well, I've got a well, you've got a well, you've got a well, and it's all flowing. People come in the room, they're, they're completely uninitiated. They walk in, it's kind of wet in here. What is going on? I feel something in the room. That's where we have to live, beloved. When we're flowing in intimacy and alive in God, the presence of God is flowing. And if God's presence is not among us, what dif- differentiates us? Hey, anybody can do three fast, three slow, pass a bucket, and give a self-help message. A TED Talk. They, they draw a lot of folks. Do they have the presence? Do they have the shikanah, the glory of God? That's what we're supposed to have. I just love Moses. I go, man, Moses. And so then he asks all those questions. And then finally, God goes, listen, I'm going to come with you personally. He goes, I, he goes, you have found favor with me. I will go with you personally. And then Moses goes, man, I'm on a roll. I'm just going to go for it. Show me your glory. Give me everything. Here's the thing. There's a place where your heart should get to in intimacy with God where you just get tired of everybody else's testimony. I mean, you want those testimonies. You're excited for them, but you want your own. You want your own encounter. You want your own intimacy with God. It's not enough for me to hear about someone else who's encountering the Lord. When I hear that Dustin had a dream on Friday and God encountered him, I go, God, I want to encounter you in the dream life. I want to encounter you in a secret place. God, I... Show me your glory. And man, Moses, I love Moses because he didn't even know what he was getting into. He didn't even know. God goes, I can almost like, just like the father just looks at Moses and goes, Moses, you are so cute. If I show you my glory, it will kill you. It just reminds me of the little kid. And he says, I want to eat all the cotton candy in the world. Well, that will kill you, son, but I want to go walk on the sun, you know. I want to fly out the window, you know. Well, that will kill you. 
Moses goes, show me your glory. And in the dialogue, we understand that Moses was asking to see God's face. Because the Lord responds, he says, if you see my face, you cannot live. There's such presence and power in just the countenance of God that our human frame in this form is not made to handle it. There's so much available in God, it would, it would instantly disintegrate us. His being, he who is reality, he who is all reality, who is all life, who is all beauty, who is all wonder, if you stared directly into his face in this frame, this frame would stop. He's magnificent. He's glorious. He goes, show me your glory. God goes, you can't see my face and live. But I'll take you right to the edge. You see, if you have that kind of a heart, you say, God, I want everything there is. God will answer you, even if it's beyond what he can really give you, you know, like some stuff we just can't take, but he will take us right to the edge. He'll, he'll give you everything you can, you can possibly take. He goes, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. You'll see the back of me. You won't be able to see the front. He goes, and I'll declare my name to you. And beloved, this, this, herein is the mystery. When God says his name to Moses, when he declares his name, he's declaring his nature. And when he declares his nature, he's manifesting his glory. Do you see that? The glory of God is the depths of who God is. So when he expresses his name and expresses his nature, he's telling Moses, this is who I am at the core, Moses. He's manifesting his glory to Moses. So when Moses says, show me your glory, and in a minute when God manifests himself, God's answering it and giving Moses everything he can give Moses without killing him. The name of God holds the nature of God, and when the nature of God is manifest, the glory of God is being manifest. Does that make sense? So then let's look at God's response. He, he tells Moses, he goes, all right, here's the deal. I want you to climb up in the mountain and, and bring two new tablets because you destroyed the old ones. Bring two new tablets. He goes, come on up in the mountain, be with me. He goes, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. And I'll declare the name of the Lord. I'll stand with you there and declare the name of the Lord. And here's what we have in verse five of Exodus 34 probably one of the most potent passages in all the scripture. It's one that I refer to often because I don't get my theology from a system. I get it from God. I first start with what does God say about himself? Do you see what I'm saying? If we start with God, that will then inform our systems. It will then inform our narratives. But we have to start with God, not what some systematic theologian said about him. Am I making sense? Yeah. I'm saying we take those things and they inform us. They should inform us. There's many men, women who have gone before us and they've studied. But man, we have got to go to the source. What does God say about God? And then we can start from there. And Exodus 34 is one of those most precious moments where God tells us who he is. And this is the thing where we've got to come to grips with. If what we think about God doesn't match what God says about God, then what we think about God has to go, and we have to embrace what God says about himself, and then live our lives from that vantage point and not the one that we're carrying. Does that make sense? Do you know what another name for that is called? Repentance. Changing your mind so that you can have truth fill your mind and live from that place of truth. So Exodus 34, verse five, now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And the Bible says that Moses bowed himself to the ground. 
Now, in God's self-disclosure, in his revealing of himself, in his declaration of his name, we find so much about his nature. Let me just walk through each one of these implications, each one of these facets of his character that he reveals, and, and we'll just land with, with these points today. We get to stare into God. We get to understand his nature from his own mouth. So the first thing he says he says, the Lord, the Lord God, uh, Yahweh, Yahweh, El, Yahweh, El, God. He goes, merciful. Think about this for a minute. When God introduced himself to Moses, the first thing he says is, I'm merciful. Aren't you glad he didn't say, I'm powerful. I'm fearsome. What if he would have said, angry with sin? No, the first thing out of his mouth is merciful. What does merciful mean? It means I forgive those who have done wrong. It's what I do. It's who I am. See, mercy isn't something that's given to people who do right all the time. The only need that people have for mercy is when they do wrong, right? Yeah, you know, we're called to be merciful. Blessed are the merciful. They shall receive mercy. To, to begin to actually give mercy, you actually have to have somebody who's done you wrong so you can do mercy. Does that make sense? Why does he say blessed are the merciful? Why does he call us to be merciful? Because it's his nature. His nature is to be merciful to those who don't deserve it. This is God. The first thing out of his mouth in his self-disclosure is, I am merciful. It's who I am at the core. And then he goes, compassionate, uh, gracious, or compassionate. It, it means this, he knows your frame and he knows your dust. He knows your propensity to be weak. I, I just love how people try to act like there's something in front of God. Well, praise God, I just know, praise God, glory to God, amen. I just tell him what, I just tell what God said. You better humble yourself and then just decide if you actually even know him. Job, I mean, when you read the book of Job, it's, it's so intense and a little bit funny because Job goes, oh, this bad is happening to me, but if God would just show up, I'd tell him a thing or two, basically, he says that. And then God goes, oh, really? How about I show up? And then God shows up in a whirlwind, begins to speak to Job, and Job goes, I heard about you from the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. He goes, I put my hand to my mouth and my face to the dust. And then God goes, who are you who darkens knowledge with words without wisdom? If there's a phrase you never want God to say to you, it's that phrase. Who are you that darkens knowledge with words without wisdom? And then God goes through this series of questions with Job. He goes, who made the platypus? How does rain form in a cloud, Job? Tell me if you know. I mean, it's just bad. It's like, oh, ow, oh, ee, eh. By the time Job gets to the, to the end of this time where God's expressing his own nature, Job goes, I am sorry. He goes, I put my face to the dirt. You're great, and I don't know you. He's compassionate with us, though. See, that's compassion. When the one who's all-powerful shows up and goes, you don't really know me. Boom! See? You don't know me. Now stop, Job, and I'll, I'll, I'll draw near to you again. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering. The, the words there actually mean slow to anger. Y you know... The thing about long-suffering, the word doesn't really express who God is because for you and I, when we have to be patient a long time, we feel like we're suffering. Man, this is taking forever, man. It's taking me forever. I can't believe how long I have to wait. How long has it been? Five minutes, man. I'm dying. How long is this microwave going to take? Man, this fast food line, it's taking forever. We suffer if we wait half a second. God's waiting on us. But the interesting with God is he's patient, infinitely patient. Long-suffering doesn't describe his nature at all. 
He never suffers when he waits alone. He doesn't suffer in it. He's actually love in it because love is patient. That word construction is more like this, slow to anger. He doesn't get mad easily. You ever been around somebody that doesn't get mad easily? I like being around those people. You know who's like that? Dustin's like that. We were talking this past week, and Christopher Peterson, who's over our children, our junior highs, he said, man, I've, I've known Dustin for 20 plus years. He goes, I think I've seen him mad one time. See, that's the nature of God in Dustin. I go, man. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think I need to get saved. <laughs> because I get angry like bang, bang, bang. I push my wrong button. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> Dustin. That's our father, though. He's slow to anger. But you know what's interesting about us? These are the first three components of his name. Merciful, compassionate. He knows your frame. He knows your dust. Slow to anger. But so often when we approach God, we think he's quick to anger, unmerciful, and doesn't know, like, doesn't deal with anybody like us. Because we, we imagine these things about ourselves. I'm the only one that's got this problem. The devil ever told anyone that lie? You're the only one that's bad like that. You know what's interesting to me? I've had people come to me, 25 years of pastoral ministry, they go, man, I've got a problem. I go, yeah, yeah, no one else has got my problem. I go, no. They go, no, no one else. I go, yeah, the devil tells everybody that. If you've ever heard that you've got a problem that nobody else has, let's just actually just take a poll. This is a moment of authenticity in the room. How many of you have ever heard, I've got a problem, or there's something wrong with me, or I've done something wrong that no one else has ever done? Just raise your hand. Hey, Two-thirds of the room. That's the enemy. See, when God sees you, he knows your frame. He knows what you're made like. He knows your propensities to weakness. And he's merciful and he's slow to anger. How does it change the way you think about God when you realize he's slow to anger? Most people, when they sin, they run away from God. And the entire time, God's going, I'm merciful. abounding in goodness. Are you guys kidding me? It's 1215. You guys did not listen fast enough today. Abounding in goodness. I'll, I'll get this to a close here in a second. Give me a second. We had a spoken word. Come on, give me a minute. Abounding in goodness. That's the, man, that's the best word. That, that word goodness is better translated loving kindness. It's a Hebrew word, chesed. It, it, it means Loyal, unfailing love. He's abounding in loyal, unfailing love. He's merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loyal, unfailing love. This is God. This is who is inviting you into intimacy with him. The one who's all beauty, all majesty, all glory is abounding in loyal, unfailing love. He wants you to be with him. He doesn't want someone else in the way. He wants to love you. Oh, beloved, I'm telling you, there is a face-to-face place of intimacy reserved for you with God that unless you take advantage of it, you'll never know who he really is. And it's just got to look like you and God, and you just say, God, tell me who you are. Show me your glory. I want to know your ways. I want to know you. And he will begin to pour out the truth of himself. He says, abounding in loyal love, abounding in truth. And that word for truth doesn't just mean he is truth. He is, but it means he's faithful to who he is. He's faithful to complete everything he started. He's faithful to keep his word. And then he says this, keeping loving kindness. That's the same word, chesed, keeping loving kindness. He goes, I, I, he goes, I am abounding in loving kindness and I keep loving kindness for thousands. And some translations say for thousands of generations. Beloved, if this is our God, it's really, really hard to mess up with him. It's really hard to mess up with him. Keeping loyal love for thousands of generations. And then he goes, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. His name is, I forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin. That's his name. 
Iniquity, transgression, and sin. Iniquity is the stain of sin. Transgression is the rebellion sin. When you knew not to do it, but you did it anyway. And then the sin is the generic, I didn't know, I just bumbled in. I had no idea. That was, oh, no. He goes, I forgive that too. It's the, the stuff you didn't know, the stuff you did know, and the stain of it. He goes, I forgive all of it. That's his name. Somebody goes, well, you're forgetting that last part. He says he doesn't clear the guilty. He, he visits the iniquity of the, of the fathers and the children's, children of the third and fourth generation. No, I, I'm not forgetting that at all because he's just. And see, he can't be all the, the first things and, 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 and not be all the second things because the second thing is about those who will not repent. He can't just be all this lavish love stuff without being just because then his love wouldn't be real. It's his justice that verifies the truth of his love. The God who is fire, the fire of love and the fire of judgment and justice come out of the same fire. This is who our God is. And so he says, by no means clearing the guilty. What does that mean? The unrepentant guilty. Those that stare at our God, who's merciful and compassion, slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness and truth, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, who keeps loyal love for thousands of generations. Those who stare at him and say, no, I don't want you. I'm God, you're not. He goes, I cannot clear you. In fact, that decision you're making will bleed down in the generations of your children. The sin will visit down three and four generations when you say no to me who am love. This is his glory, beloved. And oh, just to wrap it up, when we see Jesus in John 17, he says, Father, I pray that those that you've given me would be with me, that they would behold my glory. You, you, you know, Jesus isn't saying, I want to just get in front of them and show them how big and bad I am. No, he's going, I want to unpack my heart to them. See, Jesus is thinking about you and I right now, and he is wanting intimacy with us. And I'll tell you, beloved, as we continue to grow and build the spiritual family, we're going to build on the knowledge of God. We're going to build on Jesus at the center, on the preeminence of the nature and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. None of us, none of us deserve the accolades. He deserves all the glory. He deserves all the love. He deserves all the worship. We're going to continue to build on the nature and the knowledge of God, and we're going to declare who he is and we're going to live in light of it. I just, I just have to tell, call you to this. It's not enough for me to get up here and expound the knowledge of God. This is all I'm doing is reading you the menu. Somebody goes, well, I didn't get fed. Well, because you didn't go and order the food. All the pastor's supposed to do is read the menu to tell you what's on it so you can go home and then order what you heard or walk out what you heard. That's how it's supposed to go. People tell me, they, you know, they'll come around looking for a church and they'll say, well, I was going to such a church. I wasn't getting fed. I go, well, you won't get fed here either. All we do is read the menu. Now, if you go to the children's ministry, they'll give you some goldfish. That's what you might... No, we read the menu of the scripture. We give a few insights so you can take what you hear and go apply it to your life. I'm going to walk this thing out. And so what, do you, what am I asking you to walk out? I'm asking you to walk out intimacy with Jesus. Living from that place of that fountain of his love, his lavish love poured out on us and let it change the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act. Amen. Amen and amen. All right, let's stand to our feet. I know we've gone a little long. Just be patient. You're not going to beat the Baptist to the buffet today. It's okay. We're just preferring them. That's how we love the whole body. Just, just be patient just for a minute. 
I just want us to tap into that thing that, that Moses had. He just said, God, I, I've had all these encounters with you, but I don't know you. I, I need to know your ways. I see your glory. Show me your face, Lord. I would die, I tell you, I would die if my heart didn't stay continually whelmed with the the love of God and the knowledge of who He is. Some of you are living under the specter of a false image of God and you need to know Him this way. I want to pray for you that the Lord will release revelation to you. I'm I'm, I'm not going to invite you down front. I'm just going to pray for you. But if you'd say, you know what, I... I realize my image of God, maybe it's a little bit askew. Or maybe it's like this. Maybe you could answer it right on a test, but you don't live like that. You know he's slow to anger, but you feel afraid of him because you think he's going to judge you. The Lord wants to just sweep into your heart and sweep into your mind and just change that. You'd say, I want a greater revelation of God. I want a greater knowledge of of who he is. I want to draw near to him in intimacy. I want to see him. I want to know his ways. I want him to change the way I think about him. I just want you to raise your hand if that's you, if I can pray for you this morning. Let's just turn our hearts to heaven. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we declare we need to know you. We want to know who you are, the way you think, the way you feel. We want to know your ways your thoughts. God, I'm asking right now, just like Moses, show us your glory. Show us your glory. I pray for every person, God, who has an image of you that's not like you. I pray break those false paradigms. And God, where we've tried to overcome orphan mentalities and and working to get your approval, God, I pray break that in us that we would see that you love us, that you're merciful, you're compassionate, you're compassionate, you're slow to anger, you're abounding in loving kindness. You're abounding in loving kindness. Come, Holy Spirit.